and welcome to The Graduates, a radio show dedicated to graduate student research here at Berkeley. My name is Stephanie Gerson. I'm a graduate student myself, and I'll be your hostess for the show here on KALX Berkeley. So today I'm talking to Kelly Rafferty, a PhD student in the Department of Theater, Dance, and Performance Studies. So welcome, Kelly. Hi. And we're going to be talking about reproductive technologies in feminist performances. So first, can you briefly introduce your work? Sure. Well, my work is primarily interested in the way that performance artists can create an interactive experience for um, participants who can leave having uh, a, an enriched or different experience of their body, an experience of their body that's that's empowered and that, that resists some of the um, the misogynistic and, and marginalizing work that's been done over the course of God knows how long to mm. alienate ourselves from our bodies and, and that sort of thing. Mm. Sounds therapeutic. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that in your dissertation, you're looking specifically at feminist performances that use reproductive technologies. So let's let's actually get specific. What kinds of reproductive technologies are you actually referring to? Um, well, this is one of the interventions that I'm trying to make with the project is by expanding what we can what we conventionally think of as reproductive technologies. Usually, you mm -hmm. think of in vitro fertilization or uh, insemination or things like that. And uh -huh. part of what I'm trying to do is uh, is look at how um, contraceptives are reproductive technologies. Look at how um, certain elements from the history of gynecology, like the speculum, was obviously not just a historical object, but uh -huh. um, how it served as a, a, a specific kind of reproductive technology. And then I also look at um, at technologies like tissue cultures or stem cell research as reproductive as well. Um, so those are that's the range of, of so technologies. So how, how are uh, contraceptives reproductive? Because um, they... Well, they, they're reproductive in a couple of different ways. They are reproductive technologies in that they prevent reproduction, uh -huh. and they are involved in our choices about reproduction. Um, and including uh, contraception within a broader uh, definition of reproductive technologies also helps highlight the way that um, that women of color, and specifically black women in the U.S., but um, women of color and um, and women with disabilities have been excluded from conversations were initially and are less and less more frequently or less and less um, more recently excluded from conversations about reproduction and technology um, so in you know in the in, during second wave feminism reproduction was a conversation that uh, and and contraception was a conversation that was happening um, primarily in the public sphere around white women and middle class women who were choosing not to reproduce in order to have careers or, you know, or other things. And there was less attention paid to the way that certain women were not encouraged to reproduce. Mm -hmm. um, so this is selective pronatalism. Uh, it's drawing attention to that. Mm -hmm. And what are the performers actually doing with these reproductive technologies on stage? They're doing a couple of different things. Um, in one of the pieces that I talk about, Annie Sprinkles, post-porn modernist, uh, and this is one of the earliest pieces that I talk about, um, she uses a speculum in uh, in a live performance. Where, okay, so for, she, for people who don't know what that is, maybe you want to... Um, so a speculum is the device that um, that a physician will use on a woman when you go in for um, a gynecological yes, exam. women know what this is. Yeah, <laughs> and, um, and it, it gets inserted and um, kind of clicked open, and it's a way for the gynecologist to see your cervix and to take a pap smear and make sure everything's... Okay. So it's a, it's a tool of visibility mm -hmm. uh, and access. And, um, and interestingly enough, um, the speculum was invented by... Um, by J. Marion Sims, and he 
created the speculum through experiments on disabled slave women um, in the South. Mm. And so they, they were subjected to um, repeated unanesthetized surgeries um, in order to repair uh, fistulas. So um, it has a really um, sordid history, mm-hmm. the speculum does. Um, so Annie Sprinkle uses the speculum in, in a live performance. So she um, she douches on stage and then inserts oh. the speculum and invites spectators to come up and flash or um, to you know shine a flashlight into her um, in, and to, into the speculum and to look at her cervix because she wants people to be able to see what a cervix looks like. Uh-huh. Um, so that's one way in which these technologies are being used. Another example would be um, critical, critical Art Ensemble is one of the uh, collectives that I talk about, and they use um, they thematize reproductive technologies in their work, specifically in vitro fertilization, in a piece called Flesh Machine. And one of the things that they do is. Um, is they take swabs of um, tissue from the inside of spectators' cheeks, and then they will um, do it like a DNA extraction and amplification, and so the, the DNA becomes a part of the, um, the 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 work of art. And then also they will cryogenically freeze um, people's tissues, and then they also, in several of the performances, had cryogenically frozen um, embryos, and they would auction off. Um, they basically tried to raise money to, to pay the rent wow. on this um, cryogenic tank. And then at the end of several performances, I think maybe at least maybe just one, but possibly more, um, they didn't raise enough money to keep the tank running. So the embryo, um, you know, quote unquote, died. Wow. Uh, Have you ever been it. to one of these performances? The Annie Sprinkle one took place when I was, I think, between the ages of, of like six and 11. So you definitely so went I in there and flashed yeah, the flashlight. Yeah, I didn't go to that one. No. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Mommy, I was in can I go on stage? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, no, so I haven't been to that one. I have worked with um, the Anarcha Project and Petra Cuppers, and so I was a part of um, some of the performances that that um, that I write about later on in the dissertation. Okay, so let's actually go through the argument that you're going to be making in your dissertation. And I think you're actually my first graduate that has a title of your <laughs> dissertation, which is really exciting. It's a working so, title. Well, but it, it's still a title, so <laughs> I'm going to highlight that. And it's called Connective Tissues, Feminist Experiments with Biology, Technology, and Performance. And you are going to argue that reproductive technologies have become some of feminist performance's sharpest literal and theoretical tools. So first, what do you mean by literal tools? How have reproductive technologies been used as tools to make feminist performances more successful? Success for me uh, in this project is about creating a successful interaction between the, the spectator and the, and the um, art event and creating this interaction that I talked about before where, where they have a, a completely, um, not completely different, but a different understanding of their embodiment and a more empowered experience of embodiment. And so I think that one of the things I'm trying to argue in the dissertation is that these, that when, when, Performance artists use bring these technologies into the um, into the theater or into the performance space. It ends up fostering better um, interactions and more interesting interactions. And so, um, what, this is one of the things that I argue around the Annie Sprinkle um, piece is that that the moment when she inserts the speculum and the speculum becomes this technology of participation, it just radically transforms the piece and it and it invites the spectators to do all kinds of different things that they would not have done if the speculum mm-hmm. wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a similar um, similar case for the critical art ensemble piece, the fact that um, that as a spectator, my tissue is becomes part of the art object and I have a, 
I might have a different understanding of, of the way that my tissue, my body can or does circulate through biotechnological networks, through corporate networks. Um, I think that these technologies allow a kind of a level of participation that you just don't see mm-hmm. in, uh, in other kinds of work. Okay. Okay, so looking at the kinds of participation that the audience can engage in, reproductive technologies are very useful tools in a literal sense. So now thinking about them as theoretical tools, how have feminist performances using reproductive technologies reconceptualized the way that we understand the body, technology, the interaction between them? Mm-hmm. Well, this is one of the things that um, Karis Thompson, who's a professor of rhetoric and women's studies um, here at Berkeley, that she she wrote a book called um, Ontological, or for, called Making Parents, the Ontological Choreography of Reproductive Technologies. And she argues that um, that reproductive technology and, and you know feminist theorization of reproductive te- technology became this ideal subject matter, and it became the way that feminists articulated the turn from um, you know quote unquote second to third wave feminism, and it kind of articulate it became an impetus for this evolution in in um, feminist theory. So she's made you know that set of claims, and I think that um, that for me one of the reasons why I why I see re- reproductive technologies theoretically and um, doing a lot of interesting work for me is that they become a way to to draw together um, and talk in the same space about issues that often get splintered or separated in academic discourse. So this project in particular is about thinking um, embodiment, technology, and spirituality, you know, non-religious um, spirituality. I can try, I'm still grappling for the right term. Mm. It's not quite spirituality. It's something mm. like Give us feedback body. on that if you think yeah, of anything. Yeah, give me, give me terms. I really need... <laughs> I was thinking about some sort of digital double thing, but the double is just not working. And okay. I'm trying to figure out what this other okay. sort of ghost emanation spiritual thing is. is. Huh. So anyway, um, so I'm trying to think those things together. And oftentimes, you know, the body and spirituality get thought of separately or technology and the body get thought of separately or they get thought of as hostile to one another. Uh-huh. Um, and so I think that reproductive technologies become a way to think about all of those things together because... You know, obviously the body and technology are deeply right. intertwined here. and But then also, in a lot of these performances, we see how the ch- the choice or the the choice to reproduce or choice not to reproduce ends up dealing with a lot of a lot of these otherworldly or spiritual or Metaphysical, kind of as yeah, existential questions. exactly. Yeah. And so it um it just becomes this place to to talk about things yeah. that don't get talked about and also becomes a place to bring together um, Experiments and performance and um, and evolutions or or progress or whatever you want to say in biotechnology and then also in feminist theory. So it brings these three disciplines together in a different way that they haven't been before either. So it does a couple different um, tricks for me theoretically. So are you going to name this use of reproductive technologies in feminist performances? Are you going to call it something? You know, make it a genre? I don't know. I think that the that the the, the the double spiritual term will end up doing that. It's okay. going to be a label for that kind of performance okay. that's about embodiment, technology, and spirituality. Okay. Um, and yeah, so, we got to get, get something shorter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so we've been like pouring over biology textbooks and cookbook. One of the suggestions oh, that Kara uh-huh. had was to look at cookbooks, and I thought that was a great idea. So yeah. it just gives me an excuse to read cookbooks. Yeah, at night. there you go. And um, doing research. Exactly. That's good. So I'm, I think that that's going to be the, the term that okay. helps to, to label those things okay um 
So, yeah. Okay. So we'll keep thinking on that. <laughs> so for those of you who are just joining us, you're listening to The Graduates on Calex. I'm talking today with Kelly Rafferty about reproductive technologies in feminist performances. Okay, so let's talk about some of the theories you use to understand all of this because I know you're having to source them from different disciplines, which is probably an interesting process for you. But I know you use performance theory and feminist theory, and you're also using theories from science and technology studies. So let's start with actor network theory. What is it and how do you use it? So actor network theory um, is particularly useful for, for me um, because, okay, so Bruno Latour uh-huh. and Michelle Callan and John Law um, create, have created actor network theory. And it's, you know, there are plenty of other theorists who, um, who have developed the field. But um, an actor network theory is particularly interested in, um, in the ways that, in, in phenomenon that, don't, that aren't easily um, divided into kind of cultural or, um, or natural fields. So um, these kind of complicated hybrid phenomena, mm-hmm. um, like one of the examples that um, that Bruno Latour gives is is global warming and the way that it, it just affects all different you know areas of society mm-hmm. and, and all areas of science. And so um, they're interested in, in tracing um, the different actors within these these large networked problems mm-hmm. or situations. Um, and looking at how how hybrids and assemblages are created, so it's it's very different from a lot of the trends in the humanities, um, the theoretical trends in humanities that are interested in deconstruction and breaking things down. Mm-hmm. Um, this is very much about assemblages and hybrids and bringing things together mm-hmm. and associations and connections. So, um, and it's also particularly interested in how looking at how um, how both you know human beings and institutions and um, and objects are actors within these networks. So. This lends itself, actor network theory lends itself really nicely to um, performance studies and specifically to the, the new media performance that I'm looking at because um, because performance studies is, has always been, you know, seriously multimedia. And we've, we've, we're used to looking at how, how actors, you know, human beings um, perform with objects and institutions and environments. Um, so... There's a, a like a natural affinity there between actor network theory and, and performance and you know looking at, at theatrical performance, um, and then also, the, but there's a like a, a train. The, the actor network theory allows us to put, to take a trained eye towards exactly how technologies work in that field, uh-huh. and I feel like I'm not thrilled with all of the work that's out there in performance studies about ah. uh, about new media performance, and so I think that this will help enrich that a little bit. Uh-huh. Are there um, other people that are using actor network theory in performance studies the way you're using it? That you not, know? not that I know of. Oh, wow. So can you give an example of applying actor network theory to one of the performances that you talked about already? Hmm. How that might work? Well, I think one of the things that we can see if we apply actor network theory to the critical art ensemble um, piece which that is, I talked about, which is the the one in which uh, spectators are asked to, um, if, if you pass a, a donor screening a test, test and you... Um, <laughs> I'm not going to take anybody's. Yeah, exactly. So. Only if you pass the screening yeah. test, then you get to um, perform. To, exactly, and you <laughs> they'll draw your blood and, and extract your DNA, uh-huh. and um, and it circulates within the piece itself. Um, and so, in my analysis of, of this work, I draw attention to the to the way using um, kind of the training that our actor network theory provides, and looking at how um, how institutions and um, and objects and technologies and humans are all working together. I look at 
how um, some of the slippages that happen in in critical art ensembles performance there, the way that over the course of the performance they end up equating um, blood with reproductive materials. And so they end up equating the DNA that they extract from blood to um, sperm and eggs because the, the donor screening test that you take is, is, is a screening test that determines whether you're fit to donate eggs or sperm. And it's not the same thing as donating DNA. Uh-huh. And so I used actor network theory and I specifically used Karis Thompson's ontological choreography, which uh-huh. is a, you know, comes from actor network theory uh-huh. to, um, to look at, at some of those slippages and, and look at how, what the effect those slippages end up having on the quality of their critique. Uh-huh. What do you think they would say if you sent your analysis to them? You should, I think. Hopefully at some point I'll get to have a conversation with them yeah, about it. They end up coming to a lot of the same conferences, so ah. hopefully someday we can, we can talk about that. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Karis Thompson's theory of or concept of ontological choreography. Sure. So ontological choreography is um, is her way of, I'm probably going to butcher this, but it's her way of, of talking about how in reproductive technology clinics, um, how all of these different elements that would originally or ordinarily be thought of as ontologically separate get get choreographed together to produce parents and children. Mm. And so she looks at, at in really great detail um, about how things like um, like the schedule, like the, the the scheduling time slots that that clinics have, uh-huh. how they end up fitting um, fitting women's biological cycles, which don't work on the same sort of twenty four hour, you know, <laughs> linear um, timeline uh-huh. into into that space, and how different sorts of um, of protocols and for how physicians and clinicians interact with patients end up producing certain feelings about about gender and and. Um, and maleness and femaleness or you know masculinity and femininity for the patients and how they help repair um, gender positions which get get damaged during in the process of, of, of suffering through infertility hmm. so she looks at, at how all these really great nuanced things end up constructing parents in the end so does she come up with any new calendaring no for, no Mm-mm. she just she just shows the nice work that goes into yeah. reconciling those calendars or not reconciling those calendars uh-huh. at times all right so we will be right back on next week's show i'll be talking to sarah lopez from the architecture department about the impact of migrant remittances on the architecture and infrastructure of rural mexico So please join me for The Graduates every Monday from 12 to 12.30 on CalEx. And please visit our Facebook page. Search for The Graduates CalEx in quotes on facebook.com. You can become a fan. You can write on the wall. You can check the guests of future shows or suggest yourself as a future guest. So don't be shy. That's The Graduates K-A-L-X on Facebook. Welcome back. Today I'm talking to Kelly Rafferty about reproductive technologies in feminist performances. So do you think that these kinds of performances have the potential to make people think about the technologies differently or even design them differently? It's hard to be too optimistic about that, uh-huh. but I know that um, one of the other pieces that I write about is um, it's called Glass Body, and it was made by Anna First, and she works in the UK. And um, and she created this piece in collaboration with 
um, with physicians and clinicians at a hospital in the UK. And so they were, and it was installed within the hospital. And so there were a lot of physicians who came to the to the wow. show and clinicians who came to the show. Yeah. Um, families who were undergoing different sorts of uh, reproductive treatments. And this is at one of the, the biggest um, reproductive technology hospitals in, in the UK, one uh-huh. of the ones that was well known for that kind of work. And so I think it, in that instance, it's quite possible that that she could have had a, an effect on the way that physicians interact with their patients, uh-huh. uh, the way they understand. Because it was the piece was about her experience yeah. with IVF, so they might understand the work that they do and the way that that families um, respond to to their work in a, in a different way that hopefully would influence how they how they use their technologies in the future. Yeah, I, at, at a certain point, it's like you might as well just you know, put the surgery on the stage mm-hmm. and have the doctors watch what they already do. Mm-hmm. Okay, so clearly the technologies themselves are politically charged and that's incorporated into the performances, but even the way artists access the technologies carries political baggage. So is that also incorporated into the work? Yeah, this is something that was thematized in Critical Art Ensemble's Flesh Machine. They, they made a, a website for a fake biotech company called Biocom, and so they definitely address um, the, the industry behind um, reproductive technologies. Um, and the issue of access to the technologies is, is really interesting because... Um, as with a lot of new media art, it's it's really expensive and difficult mm-hmm. to get access mm-hmm. to new art and so or to these new technologies f- to make the art. Mm-hmm. Um, so it ends up being a lot about about class and funding and things mm-hmm. like that, which is what the art is trying to talk about exactly. in a lot of cases anyway. Which yeah. is why a lot of the pieces don't actually use um, like you don't they're not making except in the critical art ensemble instance they're not like making embryos on stage. Right. Um, they're like in one of the um, one of the pieces I talk about by Deb Margolin, um, who was one of you know the kind of the, the first and and some one of the most important feminist performance artists, um, she she thematizes um, ultrasounds in her piece, but she uses this plastic screen that she just drops from the that just rolls down from the ceiling to represent the television and a and an ultrasound screen, um, and so. It's. I think it's actually hysterical that that's mm-hmm. what she that that's what she ends up using. It's this really low tech, just plastic uh-huh. screen that unrolls. Um, and then in and then Annie Sprinkle piece, it's just a it's a basic speculum. Uh-huh. But as many people know, the access to the speculum and taking the speculum back in women's hands was a big part of the women's health, um, you know, self help movement in the late sixties and early seventies. Mm. So, um, so in a way, this this um, dissertation ends up being about kind of reclaiming low technologies as new media mm-hmm. um, and and looking at the politics of access to new media. Mm-hmm. So if video projections and interactive websites are now conventional new media technologies and speculum, syringes, ultrasounds, tissue cultures, stem cells are unconventional new media, what's the next frontier? Hmm. Weapons of mass destruction. Oh God! <laughs> Illegal um, substances. I think for for some new media artists, bio art is the new frontier, and so you know, using tissue cultures and stem cells, um, it's not really done that wide, widely. So I think it mm-hmm. really is the the new frontier. Um, yeah, I think creating living organisms, like critical or like um, tissue culture and art project is doing, mm-hmm. um, is is kind of the new frontier in or in this, and I think that's where the the dissertation, at least for now, is going to end up. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think it. Wow. One of the things that worries me about that is that right now it's starting to look like a a boys with toys club. Yeah. And I feel like even within that, there's those pe- the people who are who are criticizing the work are not necessarily doing it from a feminist perspective mm-hmm. um, or looking at the way in which this this work emerges from a, a genealogy of feminist body art and feminist performance. Right, which is what you bring to how you look at these performances. And I know that you're also involved in several performances on campus. So do you incorporate your academic work into anything you produce? I've done a couple. I've directed a couple of of more standard plays that that deal with um, like physicality and, and embodiment in interesting ways. But then I've also devised a couple of pieces. And um, the first piece that I devised at Berkeley was called Barbies That Matter on the Discursive Limits of, Pl- of Plastic. And, um, and it was they're based on these really hysterical poems by Denise Duhamel. And they and one of them was about um, Barbie as a religious fanatic and and Barbie Barbie as a reproductive technology making babies out of plastic. So. I kind of started there, and then I also um, created a, a piece with some of um, Karis Thompson's undergraduates a few years ago in a rhetoric class, and we um, we created a piece called Don't Copy Me, Site-Specific Clones, and we used the the reading and discussion that we had had over the course of the semester on stem cell research to um, to create a really funny um, and and interesting piece about um, about cloning and our own relationships to 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 reproduction and copying in our academic and and personal lives. Good. So you have a good time with this. Oh, yeah. It's a lot of fun. Good. So, okay, so the last question, how how has your work, you know, how have you incorporated it into your... You're, the way you think about your body. I won't ask mm. you which re- reproductive technologies you use, <laughs> <laughs> but are the people around you, do they want to ask you about reproductive technologies or are they nervous about it? How have you kind of... People love uh, to talk about the stuff. I, I go to conferences yeah. or, or, you know, give talks around here and people just love to talk about it. And they love to talk about the way it gets taken up in Hollywood. Mm. And um, so I end up having great conversations with people about about their reproductive experiences or um, or they ask me about what, what my plans are. And I have no problem talking about that. But Wait, um, do you want to talk about that? Oh, I just I don't have any reproductive plans in the near future. Okay. Um, getting married in a couple of weeks and we're mm. or in a couple. Yeah. In a couple of weeks. And we're just going to wait on that for a little bit. Mm-hmm. So hopefully it all works when it's time to do that okay otherwise i won't have a problem using reproductive technologies to a certain point mm-hmm. um but uh but i think to your larger question about how it might it, it's affected my own understanding of embodiment i think as i started working on on performance art that that changes people's relationships to their body i started i think taking better care of my body ah. and also as soon, when i started thinking about disability and learning more about disability studies i um I learned that I had a, a heart condition that I needed, and I just learned how to take care of myself better. And I learned the way that um, that for me, like sports and nutrition, contribute to my scholarship. And the, the better I take care of myself, the the better my work is, and the mm-hmm. you know better I am as an instructor. And um, and it's been a really interesting journey, to learning how to deal with the stress of graduate school mm-hmm. and and time management and. Mm-hmm. Um, and also learning how to manage time between being an artist and a and a scholar, uh, and and taking care of my body and being really on top of that has been a, a huge part of it mm-hmm. in a way that I had never expected. So not only are the performances potentially therapeutic for the audience members, but also for the scholars who study them. Oh yeah, that's great. Good. Well, thank you, Kelly. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for having me. And. 
And if the topic of bodies in new media arts piqued your interest, there will be a new media arts festival here at Berkeley from June 1st to 3rd called Berkeley Big Bang 08. Uh, with a panel specifically dedicated to embodiment on the second day of the festival on June 2nd, which will include talks by graduate students here at Berkeley. Uh, for details about the embodiment panel and the festival in general, visit the website of the Berkeley Art Museum and Pacific Film Archives, which is bampfa.berkeley.edu slash events slash education slash big bang so yes this will be a big bang of new media arts and you should definitely check it out you've been listening to the graduates a radio show dedicated to graduate student research on kalx berkeley background music was produced by chris peck you can check him out at myspace.com slash Chris Peck. My name is Stephanie Gerson. Visit us on Facebook. Search for The Graduates Calex. You can download our podcasts from iTunes University. And join me next Monday from 12 to 12.30.